Hi everyone, this is Ben Guest. Today I have two interviews with former students from Simmons High School in Hollandale, Mississippi. The first is with Trey Johnson, who was a basketball player at Simmons and was in my drama class. And we start by recounting the championship game in which Trey came off the bench and hit four three-pointers in the second quarter to force the other team out of their zone and kind of won the championship for us. Second interview is with Jasmine Steverson. Jasmine is a reporter at the Delta Democrat Times in Greenville, Mississippi. Uh, Trey is now a teacher himself, a music teacher, at the elementary school level just down the street from Hollandale. So, uh, talk to Trey about teaching and talk to Jasmine about being a reporter. Note that Trey was in his classroom after school, so you may hear some classroom noises and announcement over the loudspeaker in the background and Jasmine was in, uh, was in the staff room at the newspaper, so you hear some background noise there as well. Enjoy. All right, so Trey, we're at the Coliseum in Jackson. It's called the Big House. It's the high school state championship game for Mississippi. And we're Simmons High School. We're playing Nettleton. Uh-huh. Yeah. And um, we've played them I think we played them four times already, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. We, played we played them, them four times in here. Uh-huh. We played them a bunch it, three? of times. Or maybe it was three. I think and, it was three times. Yeah. So we're playing Nettleton. They're playing zone. It's the championship game. And uh, and you're on the bench. You know, you are a sixth man, seventh man off the bench. And Coach Willis calls your number. And of course, you're sort of our designated shooter. <laughs> and uh, you're a junior. And you come into the game, all everything's on the line. The championship is on the line. I think you came in at the start of the second quarter, if I'm not mistaken. So tell tell us what you were thinking and what happened. Oh man. George Willis looks down the, the line, looks for me, calls my name, tells me to go into the game. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Trey, don't be afraid. That's that's the last words I really, really remember from George Willie, do not be afraid. So, I, you know, I checked in the game. And my first shot, I think my uncle had just passed away, Clyde John. No, no, he had passed away some years ago. But my grandma, she had told me that my uncle, he was going to be with me. I'm like, oh, what you mean, grandma? So my first shot, I did one of those quiet little shots. It hit the rim, Mr. Gates, went all the way up in the air. When it happened, that was it. That was it. Because Nelson, they didn't know who I was. Of course, like right. you said, I was, I was right. coming off the bench. They didn't, they didn't know what hit them. So they was playing their zone. And after that first shot, I just, I had the green light, Mr. Gibbs. So I was just bombs away. Bombs away. And what happened? So, man, how many points I put up? 12, 15, and less than... Man, that was less than two minutes, was it? Mm-hmm. All on threes, four threes. All threes, and I had one assist. Mm-hmm. And George Willis didn't put me back in the game, though, because <laughs> I probably would put up 30, 30 points in the game. <laughs> but I, it was the experience that he had enough confidence in me to tell me, hey, just play the game, don't be afraid. And then, you know, Big Julio, he kind of gave me uh, some encouraging words as well that, that sparked that fire. Like the other side of me came out. Like everybody mm-hmm. was like, oh, we ain't never seen that side of the track. What, what did Julio say to you? 
I do not remember the exact word, uh-huh. but it was a picture that was taken and Big Julio was standing on, standing next to me and he was shouting at me. I think I had just made a three-pointer like or something that happened. And he's like, gush, my boy, gush. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm with the big dogs now, yeah. But that, that was it. I got those, those 12, 15 points in less than two minutes and after that, that little surge of scoring, Nelson, they never came back because we beat them by 12 points, 72 to 60. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that mm-hmm. was the final score. Those 12 mm-hmm. points that I scored, put them so, again, you know, put us ahead. So. so what happened, we had played Nettleton, I think, three times already. Yes. And they, yes. they, Nettleton just played man-to-man defense. That's what they mm-hmm. did. They, they, they uh-huh. were half-court man-to-man defense. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we had six seniors, which is why you were the seventh man. We had six, five seniors starting, and then either Ricky or um, Mimi coming off the bench, depending, because I think Mimi was coming back from that car accident. Uh-huh. And uh, Nettleton changed up what they did in the championship game. You can imagine why, because they played us three times and lost to us three times man-to-man. They didn't have anybody could guard Julio. So they changed up, and they were playing a triangle and two, and they, they had somebody just designated on um, Jasper and or Julio and somebody designated on Prentez, I believe. And so the only way to get them out of that was through outside shooting. Because if you're going to play a triangle in two, you got these huge gaps out by the three-point line. Right. So, so right. Mr. Willis put you in. And then, I mean, it was the key to the game because it was, mm-hmm. I think it was a tie game when you went in. And of course, mm-hmm. Julio, if he's double team front, somebody's fronting him and then somebody else um guarding him straight up it's hard to just mm-hmm. even get him the ball to go to work right right so your shooting forced Nettleton to have to revert to man to man and then once that happened we just went to Julio the rest of the game he carried us and uh like you said we won by 12. I swear that was it that exactly. was murder points you scored and the, and the crazy thing is mm. Nettleton had the talent because oh, they yeah. had what no, number 15 you know that's when Vince Carter really just came out Man, the guy had, we went down to Nelderton one game, and I remember he had jumped out of the gym. He had dunked on Ricky. You remember that? Uh-uh. Did Ricky get you dunked on? Dunked? I remember everybody that? talking about it, but I can't remember the play. He, this guy was bald-headed. He was number 15 for Nelderton. Man, that dude jumped out of the gym and dunked all on Ricky. I was like, oh, Ricky, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> but they had all these athletes. They couldn't do nothing with it. We had the mm-hmm. IQ. We had the talent. But when the coach has the IQ, mm-hmm. then your talent is going to surpass everything else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And oh, it's yeah. very difficult to beat a team four times in one year. Right. Especially a championship contender. Year, right. And, yeah. you know, we played Rosedale like two, three times a year, too. Yep. Yep. And they, yeah. we beat them every time. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. Tunica we played more than once, Tunica. if I can't remember, if I remember correctly. Tunica. Rosa Ford. Uh, they, yeah, Tunica Rosa for Because remember, they had like there was like four brothers, the Dunn brothers, I think, that were on that team. They they had to be the year after I left. Okay, okay. They had to be when I left. Yeah. No, but we 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 beat Rosa Fort in the North State your junior year. That's the team we beat to go to state. Because the oh. game was at Tunica. They were hosting the um, they were hosting the North State. I don't know. Uh, you know, it's damn near twenty years ago, so I right, might have a year of right. respect. <laughs> 
was a long. I don't, but I don't, I don't remember we us us playing Rolling Fork like that. Are you uh, uh thinking about Rubio? I remember Rubio. Uh, it was Tunica because they had this. They they had had over the course of maybe ten years, they had had four really good players who were all brothers, the Dunn brothers. And by the time we played them that year, it was the youngest brother, and he was their superstar. And Mr. Willis put Michael Miles on the Dunn boy, and Michael Miles shut him down. That, that dude right there was a beast of defense. Right? Oh, my God. He just had a bad, he had a bad attitude, but defense? Ooh, uh-huh. you ain't doing nothing with Michael Miles. Yeah. Him and, and Mimi. Mimi, yeah. he, he had that limp, but Mimi had defense. Oh, Him and sure. Michael Miles. Them boys, man. It's, it's, it's like you mentioned man. off air, you know, um, so I was the assistant coach, and sometimes as the assistant coach, uh, oftentimes you can have a different relationship um, with the players. It can be a bit more supportive, and it can be a bit more one-on-one. As the head coach, you have to keep the big picture in mind at all times. So um, even Michael, like Michael and I were really close. That was the first person I hugged, you know, on the court when we won the championship. So uh, you know, I always just appreciated Michael's just tenacity and tough. I always say he's the uh, toughest player I ever coached. Right. Um, so you know, it's interesting sometimes as, uh, as as coaches, you get to know a different side of a person. As an assistant coach, you get to know a different side of a, a player or a person. Yeah. So now you're a teacher. Oh yeah, yeah. I, oh, I enjoy doing my job. Oh wait, I, f- I forgot to ask you. So the question I always ask the guests um, is: senior year of high school. What music were you listening to? What? Senior year? Ooh, Mr. Gash, I'm a music teacher. I listen to music. music. <laughs> uh, of course, Jay-Z. That's my, not my idol, but that's my all-time rapper, Jay-Z. You, you probably don't remember. I had those, some tennis shoes, and I had got them customized because everybody had white shoes. I had black shoes my senior year with Trey Hove on the back of I think he had called me there one time, Mr. Guess. I'm not really sure. But I had Trey Hall on the back, so I was listening to Jay-Z real heavy. Um, a lot of Eastern, East Coast music, like uh, Dipset, Diplomat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Dipset, uh, Jay-Z, DMX. Mm-hmm. Those were the artists that were uh, uh, prominent at that time. Yeah, but, you know, it's like that old 2000, well, 2000, yeah, 2002, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, Jay Z. Okay. Jay-Z. Nice. Mm-hmm. What okay. about yourself? What about yourself? What, what what were you listening to around that time? In in Holiday? Uh-huh. You know who was had just popped on the scene, I think, was Eminem. So I recall listening right. to Eminem. But I'm, you know, I I like I like chill music. So Erica Badu had just released her second album, which I think is as good, if not better, than her first album. The second album. Um, I'm blanking on the name, but it was just uh, it was just a great kind of continuation of what she had done with her first album. So Erica Badu, and then I always got Lauren Hill in the in the uh, Neo, Soul. Neo Soul, Neo Soul, and uh-huh. then around that time is when I first started listening to Stevie Wonder, and oh, especially really? songs in the key of life. Um, so okay. when I had to drive up to Oxford for class, which was about a three hour mm-hmm. drive. I would always have uh, songs in the key of life or maybe Bruce Springsteen playing. So, you know, a few, a few kind of current things, but mostly old school. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's all right, yeah. Mr. Gat. Now, you said you was going to uh, uh, school at Oxford, three hours yeah. away. How, how were you doing it? Like, you get off work, then you go on to class. That's how so, you're doing so it. So that's, that's the program that, that I came down with. 
It's called the Mississippi have, Teacher Corps. Teachers for uh huh. Yeah, uh -huh. and um, so we had class about every other Saturday. So okay. in in theory, you go up um, you go up on Friday afternoon, and then you're in class all day Saturday. Of course, with coaching, that really wasn't possible to drive up Friday because you had a game either. I had to work the football game, you know, just with the crowd or basketball. I had to be on the bench with Mr. Willis. So right. we used to drive up or I used to drive up early, early Saturday morning, like, you know, five in the morning, leave and drive up, stop in Cleveland and get some donuts. I forget the name of the donut place. It was so good. Shipley's. Shipley's. Yeah, Shipley's, Shipley's in, in Greenville. Yeah. Shipley's in, in Cleveland. No, I'm messing up. Shipley's, Shipley's was Greenville. There was Greenville. another place in Cleveland right at the crossroads. I want to say there was a daily donut. No, nah, there was something different because something I was in like high that. school. Yeah. yeah, I was in high school. Yeah, yeah. Nah, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about when I went to Delta State. Yeah, so we used to just have to go like every other every other Saturday for class. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. Try it down. So okay. speaking of class, you got your own yes, classroom sir. now. You're a teacher now. Um, yes, so tell us what you're teaching and tell us kind of what it's like having been a student and now being a teacher. Okay, uh, this will be my fourth year, and I'm an elementary teacher, and I teach music uh, from K through five. Uh, my experience as a student, well, I was around the age, not the age, in a time frame where uh, corporal punishment uh, uh, legal. It was legal. So you did wrong, you get chast chastised for it. Uh, right now, it's, it's totally different because Corporal punishment is not really allowed. Now, in some districts, it's different. Uh, so when you, uh, I guess, discipline a child, you have to do it other in other ways. Instead of you paddling, you have to make them do push-ups. Or uh, for girls, uh, with the girls, I just tell them I have to, I can't make them do push-ups. Y'all just have to go to the office. But the, the fellas, you know, you do some push-ups to your arm, chest get tired, uh, sit up, do some wall sits with your arms up in the air, uh, stuff like that, instead of me using the power. But at this district, it's it's still let, you let have me, to sign a, a waiver. You have to sign yeah. a waiver. Mm -hmm. Let me let let me ask you a question. So when you were a student at Simmons High School, um paddling happened. You know, but mostly it was administrators. Mostly, I remember it was Mr. Liddell, the principal, who was paddling kids. For some reason, he used to paddle the kids in the library, which seems crazy. But, uh, um, like, what did you think about corporal punishment when you were a high school student? You were in a school where students got corporal punishment. The corporal punishment, in my opinion, it was just getting you ready for the real world. Mm. All right, what I mean by the real world, if you go to a store and steal something, you gotta pay a consequence, right? All right, so why not go ahead and raise that child right in high school or in the uh, 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 grammar school stages? So when they uh, transition to the real life, they won't have to worry about going to jail, being murdered or anything like that. So I feel as if prayer and corporal punishment needs to be re-implemented in the schools. That's mm -hmm. my opinion. Mm -hmm. Now you do have all these other people uh, saying uh, religion shouldn't be placed in school. 
but we're not just saying one specific religion. We talk about religion all together. You know, you might have a Muslim at your school. So figure out a way to where you can cater to that child that's Muslim or Pentecost, you know, Methodist. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of religion. So for people to, to actually just snatch religion out of a, a school when God is the person or Allah is the person that woke you up this morning and, and, and started you on your way. Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people say, oh, Allah woke me up. No, if he didn't want you to, to wake up, you'll sleep past it alone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I feel as if that corporal punishment and, and religion, well, not religion, prayer. Corporate, corporate punishment and prayer, it needs to be, you know, re-implemented back in the schools. So, so you had an interesting experience in high school. Maybe you could just talk a little bit about what your experience was like. And by that, I mean, obviously, Simmons High School, that's where I taught you and, and coached you and got to know you and your family. Your mother was a math teacher at the school, Miss Johnson. I got to know your father really well. Um, of course, he's a huge basketball fan, a supporter of yours, taught your younger sister. Uh, Simmons is basically an all-black school. You know, every year mm -hmm. there'll be one or two white kids, maybe. Um, mm -hmm. So it's you have an interesting experience because, as you know, a lot of kids at Simmons, maybe they're coming from a single-parent home. Maybe they're coming from a no-parent home. And, and, and you're going to school there. You're a black man. At the same time, you know, your, your home life is a little bit different from some of the other kids. So could you just talk about what your experience was like uh, as a high school student? As a high school student? Um, my home life, is that's what you're referring to? Well, just like, you know, ha having two parents who, who were home, who were working, uh, you had a stable home life as opposed to I other students who didn't have that stable home life. I got you. Okay, now, uh, by me having a, a two-parent household, I was by my father I was taught how to be a man and my mother I was taught how to uh, uh be sensitive to women to women to be sensitive to women not to be insensitive so uh with that being said most uh guys that I went to school with they only had a mother so in turn my dad just stepped up and, you know, took him in. It's like, okay, you can be my, my son, my God. So you hang with my son all the time. So whatever I tell my son, I'm telling to you as well. If my son needs something and you're hanging with him, you're going to get it as well. Prime example, my dad, he was a big time uh, uh, coach, shirt tail basketball league, winning championships every year. And every time he won a championship, he bring his entire basketball team to the house and they stand at the house for a weekend now i'm not on his basketball team he just teaching me how to play ball they wouldn't allow me to be on this team but just for him to take his resources and and disperse it out unselfishly that that is what motivates me to want to have my own family because I saw what my dad and my mom did, how how my how loving and caring and, and and nurturing my dad was to these boys and how my mama nurtured. Mm -hmm. So for me to have a, a two-parent household, I can't say it was just for me because the guys that was in my inner circle, they had the opportunity to witness 
love from my from my dad, mostly my dad, because like I said, my dad, he was trying to make sure all these young boys become young men. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, be young, young men. Mm-hmm. Now so, you're you're a mm-hmm. teacher. Your sister's a teacher. Your mom is a te- still teaching. Your mom's a great math teacher. Mm-hmm. Did you think growing up you were going to be a teacher? Heck no. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Miss Gates, I didn't. I I didn't know what I really wanted to do because by me being raised, my dad he just showed me how to do multiple things. So when I was growing up, I, I was like, ultimately, I want to be a basketball player. I want to be a basketball player. But I was dibbling and dabbling in everything else. I was drawing. I was uh, playing music because, you know, I was in a band before I was in uh, on the basketball team. So I I was really confused. Not confused. Doing a lot of different things. Doing a lot of different a lot of things. things. Right, right, right. Versatile. I was versatile. I was there you go. trying to trying to figure it out. Figure it out. So now I'm in a spot to now. Okay, I can set me a goal now, and all I have to do is just go ahead and accomplish it now. So yes, yeah, so ultimately I wanted to be a basketball player, but that didn't pan out. So uh, went to school. I went to Valley first, and I was a, a computer science major. I was pretty good at that. I was pretty good, but Valley was not really just challenging enough to me plus i got in a little trouble too so i started my career off fresh going to delta state and then that's when i became my music man and i was like okay granddad plays piano my uncle plays my dad plays my mom sings i got a lot of people that are musically inclined so i was like let me just you know major in music so that's what i did and after i graduated started working at the bank now who would have thought trey would have been at the bank <laughs> So I worked at the bank for like five, six years under under the impression that I would be able to work up the corporate ladder. But soon, you know, reality hit me. Mm-hmm. So I stopped doing that and started working for an uh, insurance company, State Farm. Uh, I did that, but I really, that wasn't, I don't like selling stuff. That's not my thing. Uh, and after that, ceasefire, didn't like that. And then I've been teaching ever since ceasefire. Mm. So, yeah, uh, with teaching, I can dictate my classroom. Uh, kids, they tend to mind male before they mind female. And I've, I've seen that, you know, live in the hand. Because if a, a female teacher tells a, a student something and they put my name in the mix, their child, their reaction is like, Okay, you don't have to tell Mr. Johnson. Don't tell Mr. Johnson. Leave Mr. Johnson out of this, you know. But I don't come off to the kids as if you do this and do this. Uh, uh, uh-uh, no. I love you. I love you. I love you. You know, I'm gonna show you all love until it's time for me to show you uh, uh the other side mm-hmm. to where I have to discipline you. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yes, sir. What um, if you think back on the best teachers and or the best coaches that you had in your life, what made the difference? Coach Willis, you got Ben Gibbs. Who else was out there? Stevenson, yeah. Now, Mr. Stevens went out there. We had Ducci. Mm-hmm. Hey, Ducci, good, great teachers. Miss Connors, Miss Wilson, Mama Dill, K Bones, again, Ben Gibbs. Uh, who else was a great teacher? We had a lot of great teachers. At that time, we had a lot of teachers that cared. 
Mm-hmm. And it showed. It really showed because everybody, they, it was, they were family. Mm-hmm. They were real family. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the common, the common denominator out of all the people that I, I named, they showed genuineness. That's what they showed. That's what all you all exemplified, genuineness. If I say I love you, you showed it. Y'all didn't just see it. Y'all showed it. So that's what made you all stand out. So what the company name, the denominator that I got out of you all, I'm using it. Mm, right. But that's what I saw you all, you know, show. Right. So, you know, and Mr. Guest, I'm just a music teacher, but mm. I guarantee you, Mr. Guest, 75% of these kids, they'll tell their parents their best teacher is Mr. Jones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they don't, they, they don't see me every day. They don't see right. me every day. But right. when they see you, Mr. Jones, what are we doing today? What are we doing today? I got some for you. I got some for you. Just, just bear with me. Bear um, with me. I'm sure the kids love you, and I'm sure, you know, maybe a couple of those single moms are are are. Uh, I'm, uh, late. I'm, I'm, I'm off the market. I'm off the market. I'm way off the market, Mr. Jones. Way off. But you know, I had a little not an issue, but when I first came here, they was like, "Oh yeah, that's a new piece on the block. We put a track." No, uh-uh. y'all sit down. Yeah, but 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 the big thing that that I think you're talking about is being authentic, and right, you know, right. of course, I'm a white guy who grew up on the East Coast, never been to Mississippi in my whole life, and now I'm in the Mississippi Delta, like not even Mississippi, I'm in the deep Delta, part of the Mississippi where get, Delta. Well, you can get lost in like you're all the way at the bottom of the map in the right. Delta West, right? Black land, black land, still right. see cotton fields. <laughs> exactly and i think what a lot of a lot, the mistake that that sometimes young teachers that were in my position make is you know they're like i'm i'm gonna try to relate to the kids on their level so you know whatever music they like or whatever slang they like or whatever and it's like it, it comes off as inauthentic or insincere but if you're just who you are and acknowledge you know whether you do that consciously or unconsciously that yeah, I'm different. I come from a different place, but this is who I am. Then that allows. Um, then then there's a greater opening, I think, for yeah. Mr. Guest is different, but but um, I appreciate you know being in this class or like the way he teaches or what have you. Especially Godfather. Man, I still I still watch Godfather. Man, I still watch it. Every time I watch, I think about being good. So uh, every so, episode. Check the episodes. It's your own. Some bad about to happen. I never forget the question. I love I, that. I love yeah, that. Yeah, man. So just just for the listeners, so they know. So I mostly taught English, ninth and eleventh grade English, but then I always had to teach a couple little extra classes, and one of them was drama. And so uh, I'm a big film buff, and Godfather one and two are two of my favorite films, and of course they're classic films. So I thought, well, let me let me teach. The Godfather movies to the kids, and what I would do is we watch ten minutes and sort of break down the themes and the symbols and all you uh-huh. know, all that stuff. Like you said, orange, orange is a color that signifies something bad is going to happen. And but anyway, I knew you know the Godfather has some violence in it. There's a little bit of nudity in it, um, and I remember asking uh, the principal, Mr. Liddell. I said, Mr. Liddell, um, is it okay if I show the Godfather to my students, to my drama students? And he said, never heard of it. And I said, because, you know, it's a classic, right? Yeah. And then he said, does it have, and of course I know, 
Miss Liddell's not just going to walk into my classroom, right? You're pretty much on your own. So he said, does the movie have any violence in it? And I was like, no, sir. Does it have any, any nudity in it? No, sir. Does it have any gang-related activity? The whole movie's about the gang. It was about the mafia. Yes, sir. I was like, yes, no, sir. sir. He's like, go ahead and show it. And of course, you love, like a couple of students um, that, that I still keep in touch with all love that unit we did on The Godfather. Uh, but it's so funny yeah. that Miss Liddell had never heard of the movie. That's crazy. That was a, that's a great movie, man. Like I said, I still watch that movie. Mm-hmm. It's long as heck, but I still watch it. Mm-hmm. Did your uh-huh. did your mom give you any advice when you started teaching? Yes. What did she say? They told me the first day. First day. First day, that's when you, you act crazy your first day. She said, you act crazy your first day, and that's going to uh, uh, set the, the mood for the entire year. Mm. That's going to show the children, this is not the teacher to crawl. Mm-hmm. So she she always told me, and I, I I did that my first year here, and now the kids they go tell their kids, they tell their relatives, Miss Johnson crazy, but we love him, so do not get Miss Johnson to act crazy. So that that was the advice my mom gave me. Everything else is I'm learning on the fly, or mm-hmm. from the feeling that you all made me feel when I was young. And so mm-hmm. that's what I, I do with the kids. I try to make them feel good because mm-hmm. you all made me feel good. If I was wrong, you all put me in my place. You, you all let me know, no, Miss Johnson, Trey, no, that's not right. Uh, you need to do it like this. Okay, I'll, I'll do it like this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was the only advice. But everything else, on the fly, Mr. Diss, on the fly. Okay. okay. But uh, it, like you were saying when we were talking off air, it kind of helps that that – you know, you're just literally one town over from Hollandale. Obviously, you know the community, you know the culture. So th- there's uh, there's um, some built-in knowledge there in terms of working with the kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, um, you know, one of the things I tell people, so I've been overseas for eight years living in, in Namibia. And I tell people all the time, I was so happy to miss the Trump presidency, to, to not be in the United States for those four years. Well, what was that like? Mr. Gibbs. Man, <sighs> Mr. Guess, it was so many white people that really, part of my language, they showed their ass. Mm-hmm. Like, when Trump became the president, all that hatred that a lot of uh, uh, people had, it came on out because they had a face or a spokesperson to validate the way they feel, which is not right. It wasn't right. It was not right at all, at all. We are human beings. God made us in different hu- in different hues. You know, you have more than one color. You have black, white, tan, all these different colors that God created. And for, for Trump to be the spokesperson of hate and privilege, mm-hmm. Man, it was it was it was crazy, mm-hmm. really crazy. So a lot of stuff that my dad instilled in me, as far as law enforcement, I took his advice because if you see all these examples, a lot of those people were resistant. Right, right. I'm not putting no color or nothing. Like a lot of people were resistant, and if you know you show any ounce 
of being a rebel, they're going to blow it out of proportion. When I see other people, white people, do the same exact thing and the police offer bags off. The same. It's crazy. So, you know, if I got a ticket or anything like, yes, sir. No, sir. Here go my ID. I don't want no problem. You know, I'm not gonna even ask you no question. Why you pulling me over, officer? Uh uh-uh. uh. No, no, no. Uh, you pulled me over for a reason. So here go my insurance. Here goes my license. My hand is on the wheel. Don't need no problem because you know I, I can make one sudden move and voila. So this this Trump administration, I I thank God for him being out of it. But like I said, it showed it. Um, a lot of people reveal their true face. They take the mask mm-hmm. off. I'm gonna let it ride. Yep. Like, See, like they, they they put that red hat on, and you knew right, they were, you knew what right. they were about. Exactly. So uh, I'm glad. I am elated that he is out of office because a lot of people have to put their mask back on now. Mm-hmm. Got to put it back on now. Mm-hmm. But since you took it off, I know what who I know what you're about. So. I'm going to love you from a distance. I'm not going to say I hate you. I'm going to love you from a distance and just keep on going. Mm-hmm. But, I, man, Mr. Guest, yes, I'm glad you you did not experience it. I should have been over there in Africa, which, shoot. It was crazy. It was crazy. And we in the South, of course, in the Delta South, but it was it was just unheard of uh, to actually see people act, act their way and, and turn out to be Actually, the monsters, when, you know, they try to make us monsters. We're not monsters. Mm-hmm. Think about Capitol Hill. Mm-hmm. Now, now, come on now, Mr. Guess. If there was another color, Mr. Guess. Would have shot them all. What? <laughs> and then put, Guess, the, now, put, the, put the rest under the jail. Right. Now, they ain't doing nothing to the people that, that did that. Nothing. I saw they said something about... Some one one Republican congressman said it was just a little tourist visit. Oh, that's an inside job. A tour a tourist visit where like two people got killed. What kind of tourist right. visit is that? Right now, that's just two people. Now, if it was the other, if the shoe was on the other foot, that would have been majority. It wouldn't be no two people. Right, right. That was what, it. Was it, it was just crazy. Uh huh. What what are like, what are race relations like? In Mississippi or in the Delta right now? Delta, none exist. Hmm. Not in Delta. In the Delta, you're not gonna really see. You'll see out of 10, 10 couples in the Delta, you might see two. Now, let's say we get out of the Delta, but we're still in Mississippi. Oh, it's everywhere. Mm. And I love, I love to see it. So interracial couples. Yes, I love mm. to see it. Just show everybody that love has no color. Love is an act. It's how you treat people. That and I love it, man. I had uh, had to go get my girl, my fiance, Green Reside down in Jackson. We in Jackson, and I'm walking around. I'm looking all at all the interracial couples, and they got their kids out. And I'm like, yes, this is what this is what America is. We are mm-hmm. the melting pot. We have different religions, uh, ethnic. Uh, sexual preferences, all of it in one location. And I feel as if since we have all that freedom, what's so hard for us to love each other? 
Exactly. Exactly. I don't care if you like me. That's your business. I still love you, though. Mm -hmm. As long as you respect me. Respect Mm -hmm. me. Show Mm -hmm. me respect. Let me know what you like. Okay, so if you 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 say a remark, then I know, hey, you crossing that line. I right. already told you, you know. Right, right. I just, my parents taught me just love, love. That's all you do, love. Somebody do you wrong, still love them, but love them from a distance. See, I think that's key, Trey, because what you're saying, and, and I completely agree, is at the end of the day, we're all just human beings. We're all humans and we're all worthy of love, but it's what you're taught at home when you're small. And there are people out there who have taught their kids hatred. You remember what I said when I, when I wanted to work at the elementary, I wanted to catch them at a young age, Mm -hmm. show them love, show them love, Mm -hmm. teach them, love your classmates. When you get older, you ain't got number love. Mm What, what what are the biggest challenges right now for, for kids growing up in the Delta? To be honest with you, Ms. Gass, I can't say it's the children. Mm. Well, elementary, I can't say it's the children, it's the parents. Mm-hmm. It is the parents. The parents there, you're getting all this money for uh, unemployment. You have people finessing the PPP loans. The government is trying to help, but you have people doing things that they shouldn't do instead of getting up and going out and getting it on y'all. When was the last time you heard McDonald's uh, uh, paying you $18 an hour? Trey, are you against that? I think they should pay him $20 no, an hour. No, okay. no, I'm not against it. I've yeah. never seen McDonald's saying, we'll pay you $18 an hour. Oh, right. That's people because aren't working. That- yeah. Right. So you you said that the, the, the difficult that the kids face is not the kids, it's the parents. And the kids watch the parents. They watch. So they, they see their parents not doing nothing. They're always on, on welfare. Not knocking. I promise I am not knocking. My parents, they never did. They always got their tails up and work. And they showed me that you can get up and go work. And you're going to get it. See, with the welfare, you, you only can make so much money. You can own Man, you're limited. And people do not understand that when you, when you say you want welfare, you limit. So you want limited blessings or you want unlimited blessings. Miss Guess, I want unlimited blessings. If you if you want unlimited blessings, raise your hand. Here I go, here I go, here I go. Alright. Like really, come on, you know. So it's the parents. The, the, the biggest obstacle students, children have to face is distinguishing right from wrong. That's what it is, being doing right from wrong that would make them uh, 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 individuals that's going to give to the community, that's going to help out the community, that's going to be influential. Right now, the parents ain't showing, so the the kids are are the same way. It's like, okay, it's okay for me to do this. It's okay for me to do it. And prime example, I'm not going to say the name, but it was an instant where we were taking state exam. And a parent uh, said, oh, the test don't mean, uh, the test is not going to count this year, so it don't matter. And I, 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 I was just dumbfounded because I'm, I'm like, 
why would you say that in front of your child? Why would you say the test is not is not gonna count? Yeah, we know it's not gonna count, but don't tell it to your child. You want to make sure your child do that, do his or her best. You telling your child, oh, it don't count, just do whatever. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. not life. You mm-hmm. know, you know. So that's that's the children's biggest biggest obstacle. Mm-hmm. To distinguish right from wrong because they wake up every day with their mom or their dad. You have to. I'm at the school and I'm trying to teach them, hey, no, nah, that's not the way. That's not the route. You don't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. You don't do that. And as long as you're at the school, you 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 listen to me. Right. I don't care if your parent is outside. Until you get in your car, you listen to your parent. But right now, you listen to me. Right, right. And there's something interesting that happens with kids. You know, I think up until about the age of 12, the, the, the most important people in a, children's, in a child's life is his or her parents or guardians, grandparents, teachers, etc. Mm-hmm. And then about late in middle school, about eighth grade, it, it starts to shift to your peer group. And then all through high school, it's your peer group Here. that's really mm-hmm. influencing you. Mm-hmm. And it's so tricky, Trey, I think, as a teacher or as a parent, because you can you can do your best to guide and be a role model and advise, but it's you can't really mandate, I only want you to spend time with these five kids over here and not these other five kids over here. But that peer group is going to lead you in a good direction or it's going to lead you in a bad direction. And that's why I chose my circle of friends. Mm-hmm. I chose Octavius King, Marquette Terrell, uh, DeAndre Gaines, Corey Dixon, Avery Johnson. That, that was my, my crew, right? That was my inner circle. I was cool with everybody in my class, but everybody had their own inner circle. And you can tell we was close because we walking off campus getting hamburgers and all. Yeah, my mom would teach at the school, but still, okay. If if I was a bad student, my mom went, mm-mm, nah, you, you better do your work. Do your work. Yeah. Uh, so the crew that I selected, my dad, he was all for him. Mm. He was all for him. Now, if they was the other way, he would probably would have been still all for him, but he would have talk to me a whole lot more as far as being my own man. Mm. He he stressed to me being my own man, but he didn't have to focus on that topic because the, the group of guys that I socialized with, they they like the same things I like. I like good grades. They like good grades. You wanted things for yourself, they want, you know. So mm-hmm. that's that now that w- is a reason why my dad didn't really have to stress being your own man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you know, I and I, I promise you, I appreciate the guys that's in my inner circle. We still talk every now and then, and when we talk, it's like we've been talking for the longest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I mean, those, those are the people you grew up with, right? You know, whether right. or not you talk regularly, those bonds stay forever. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. All right. Last, last question. What's something that surprised you about being a teacher? Talk to me. It's easy, Mr. D. Mm. It's very easy. The hardest part about being a teacher is waking up early, early in the morning every day, Monday through Friday. That's the hardest part. 
Other than that, I come to work and do my job. And my job is easy. Now, me, what I do, I entertain the children, but I educate them at the same time. Mm. Okay, I'm going to make a fool out of myself, but I bet that child ain't going to remember what I just told him. You know, so that's teaching is the easiest. Teaching music for me is easy. That's the easiest part. Mm. That's, that's interesting. It, it's, it's very easy. Very easy. That's interesting. I always mm-hmm. found, like, I always found teaching um, not necessarily difficult, but but just a, a lot of hard work. Because at the high school level, there's so much planning, there's so much grading. And then I would just come home at the end of the day, or especially at the end of the week, just like physically tired. Just because you're yeah, on your feet all the time, and then you got to get mm-hmm. to the gym for practice mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Yeah. Yeah, and then you was an English major, so yeah, yo, it was harder on you because that's a, a test subject. Right, they get right. tested on it. See, I'm a music, right. music right. teacher. I'm not getting tested like so, that. So what kind of things do you do with the elementary school kids as far as teaching music? Uh, besides teaching music? No, like, I mean, what does that mean? Like, so they come into your classroom, like, walk uh, me through what happens. Okay. Uh, I have all these instruments back here. I have drums. I have, man, I have about 30 keyboards back here. Uh. I have a whole lot of musical equipment. So when I first start off with the kids, I try to see the level. I want to see where they're at first before I start bringing in new uh, new words. Mm-hmm. So say, for instance, I'm working with second grade. Mm-hmm. I'm working with second grade, and I want to teach them how to play the piano. My first thing is these kids should know how to count. Mm-hmm. So kids, tell me how many keys on my keyboard. How many black keys and how many white keys. So what I do, I try to help out math subjects and I help out reading ELA. Mm-hmm. I help that out with different terms like uh, eighth note, quarter note. Those are different terms. You have to know these. You have to know it or how to add. You have to know how to count in math. So in music, you have to know how to count. So uh, I start second grade off with, tell me how many keys on the keyboard. They'll tell me how many keys on the keyboard. So that's, let, that's going to let me know that they know how to count. So after that, I'm going to build on from the bottom. Now I'm going to teach you all how to read music. Mm-hmm. We're going to come up with the terms. We're going to come up with eight notes. Class, mm-hmm. what is an eight note? It's one beat. Okay. Can you all illustrate an eight note? The kids get up and, illustrate, and draw an eight note, which it shocks me because I'm like, Older people, it takes some of these older people a long time to figure out. Hey, no, come on, man. Come on. But the kids, they catch it and they they know it. They know it. Miss Guess, these kids know how to read music already. Hmm. How so? They know how, they know how to read. Like, by, where my music is? I watch my keyboard. Mm-hmm. I got my keyboard right here. Okay. Say, for instance, I'll pull this up to them. Uh-huh. Now, you uh-huh. see I have it highlighted, right? Uh-huh. That's because I'm asking these children, what kind of notes are these? Is this a quarter note, eighth note? Is this a quarter wrist? Is it a dotted wrist? Like, what is this? And the kids give my feedback just like that. So with that exercise, I can go to a, a document in Google called, not Google, Quiz It, Quizzes. Okay. And, and, and I uh, come up with a sheet and, and come up with random questions. So with Quizzes, 
it, it it's like a game. And at this age, a lot of kids are competitive. They want to be number one. Mm-hmm. Now, me, if you're number one or you give it your all, I give you incentive. Mm-hmm. I give you a handful of candy. If you want candy, come and show out in class. And Mr. Guest, I have to buy candy probably twice a week. Wow. Because the kids, they're, they're uh, engaged. They're enthusiastic about all of the material that I'm presenting. And it can't get no better than that, than that Mr. Guest. That's what you that's, want. Right. That's self-fulfillment right there. Like, man, these kids, they want to do this. They, they not missing a Google class. Like, even the kids that's at home, they'll beat me in my Google class before I get there. So I have mm-hmm. to make sure I'm there five minutes early. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because they they enjoy the the material, and I'm like I said, I, I make them laugh. I I embarrass myself, but they never forget the material. So if they don't forget the material, hey, I did my job. So therefore, it makes my job easier. I love it. I love it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I think that's the perfect place to finish. Okay. 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 Trey, <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time. And uh, of course, it's always great to to sit and chop it up with you, and and uh, just appreciate everything you're doing. And I just have a, you know, I just I feel proud that that I played a, a very small role in, in in helping you as a teenager, and and looking at all the great stuff you're doing now. Yeah, you did help out, along with a whole lot of other people. You did that, Miss Gibbs. I promise mm-hmm. you. Thank mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. All right, my brother. Thank you. All right, bro. You be safe now, Mr. Giggs. Okay, you too, Trey. All right. All right, Jasmine Steverson, thank you so much for coming on. You are a reporter with the Delta Democrat Times in Greenville, Mississippi. And can you tell the listeners uh, what the focus of your reporting is? So the focus of my reporting is local government and education. Um, Every now and then, you know, I'll do some human interest stories, but yes, the focus is education and local government. And you were a teacher previously uh, in Hollandale, Mississippi, which is where I met you. You weren't even a student of mine. You You were in elementary school and your dad was the school counselor and he was a great friend of mine and used to walk by my classroom every day in the morning on your way to the elementary school and always stopped and said hello. And uh, yeah, it's pretty cool to be, to be talking to you now. I know, I know, seems like so long ago, but I guess in a way it's not that long ago. <laughs> I, I heard a quote the other day, it said, the days, the days go slow, but the years go fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so, but you've been a teacher. Um, what is it about local governance, school governance, school boards, that people who aren't paying attention uh, don't understand? Oh, it's so much that people um, don't understand, I believe. Um, So I think one of the main things is just how important it is, um, just how important it is to, okay, let me say this, the money part. Money literally does make the world go round. Everything um, always leads back to money. Um, So a lot of times when I'm covering um, school board meetings and city meetings, it's about the funding 
uh, how you're going to spend the funding and um, the whys, the who's, things like that. So um, I think even just with the fact that, you know, let's take where I used to teach out of the district that I taught in, for example. Um, now a lot of the other school districts or surrounding school districts are slowly starting to uh, have that same problem of dec decreased enrollment. And so, of course, you know, our um, our government, our state government, you know, they use enrollment or, you know, the student body to determine, um, you know, how much funding that school district gets. And then another thing is just, you know, the, the, the regulations. Um, and so those are like some of the things that I think a lot of people um, don't really understand. Um, I feel like a lot of the regulations and things that, you know, our state government have as it, um, you know, pertains to funding, um, it doesn't give districts a whole lot of wiggle room because, you know, you think about even this year, for example, it seems like there are grants or grant opportunities coming from left and right, coming from every direction. But the thing is, you know, people love to call it free money. But at the same time, the work that it takes to get this free money, that labor ain't free. That's and right. 100%. People, people don't, you know, sometimes don't really, you know, or, or they can't really grasp the concept that, look, I know y'all are saying we can get this or we can get that. And that's why a lot of times I do have a lot of empathy for superintendents and administrators because in a place like the Delta, it's hard to really find um, people who, you know, are qualified or who really have that experience to go out and do those types of things. Okay, we're going to go out, we're going to put out a request for qualification. Okay, now we got to put out a request for a proposal. You have to do all of that legwork just to get the money. And then when mm -hmm. you get the money, you have to have this defined plan on how to how you're going to spend the money and all of that. So it, I mean, it's it's a lot, you know. And you know, I, yeah, and I think that's a great point that that money makes the world go round. And when it comes to education, I always found there's what people say, and then there's where they direct the resources. And where they direct the resources is what's is what really matters. So when you're trying to chase that down, when you're trying to follow the money, um, what's your process as a reporter? What's your process for doing that? Oh, so my process is basically. So I'm of course I'm a stickler for my reporter. I don't know what the heck I would do without my reporter. I don't see how people were just using pens and pads in the. Past in the past because you know there's just so much um that can be said but um i am always trying to talk to let's say for example the board or a city council's um attorneys usually the attorneys they will have um you know the most i would say the most significant um guidance or uh insight when it comes to those types of things and then also literally just going and doing the research yourself. 
because I mean it's there. You know what I'm saying? I mean it might be pages and pages and pages, but the guidelines and regulations and all of those things they are there um, in black and white. So it's a lot of dot govs um, on my computer open <laughs> on my tab. A lot of dot govs and dot orgs and all of those things. Right, because that's that's the beautiful thing about um, publicly funded projects, schools, etc. Is um, that there there is a paper trail, mm -hmm. and it might be you might have to really go to a lot of different .gov sites, but you can track that paper trail. I mean that exactly. that's but but it's also concerning because you know newspapers have lost a lot of funding as well over the past decade or two and so it's also how many how many jasmine stevensons are there out there you know watching and checking and, and then how many are you know good at their job like you are um you know so there's I, i'm sure there's a lot of malfeasance that people can get away with too absolutely um and you make a good point when you say how many are there because a lot of times i um so, uh, of course, sometimes I'm most of the time I'm my own worst critic, and I consider myself still a novice at this reporting thing, you know, because I have colleagues who have been, you know, doing what I'm doing for decades, some um, for years. And so, you know, I'm always kind of trying to make sure that I am actually doing the best um, that I can do, you know, reading other people, um, other reporters stories um i know mississippi today they do some great reporting um and so it's it's it's, it's when you think about how many there aren't it is concerning because it's like man you know i wanted i wish i could write more i wish i could you know do more of this but because i am stretched so thin because you know, my newspaper, the Delta Democrat Times, has, um, you know, the budget has kind of, you know, shrunk mm -hmm. over the years. Um, you know, it's only me as like the main reporter. And then every now and then my editor, you know, is able to write a few stories. But, I mean, you're absolutely right. You know, it would be great if there were more reporters or if we could, you know, actually delegate um, some of this extra, even if we just had somebody to do some research or something, you right. know, while the person is doing, um, you know, whatever else, it's 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 one of those things that just makes you, you know, sit back and be like, man, like, you know, who knows how much um, else is out there that we, you know, don't know about or is just not being reported on. Right. So, how how many in a typical week? How many stories do you publish? In a typical week, anywhere from six to eight. Mm. Mm. That's um, a lot. Yeah, it, it is. Sometimes, you know, um, the actual um, local government and the educational stories um, are always going to get, um, you know, the majority of my time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And my effort because I just want to make sure that they are as informed and as detailed um, as they can be. But yeah. What's what's one of the stories you've been most proud of in the last year? Ooh. That's tough. Um, 
in the last year. So one of the ones that comes to mind would have to be um, oh, so one of the ones that comes to mind, and this isn't I'm sure this is exceeded 12 months, but I want to say in January 2020 is when um, the Washington County, which is, you know, our home county, um, I, I guess you could say there was a bit of a shakeup on the Washington County Board of Supervisors. They swore in, I want to say she is the, she was the first female supervisor in Washington County, if I'm not mistaken. And, um, she also happens to be, um, you know, a black female. And so that was a pretty big deal. But the actual uh, story was the, was the response of um, a lot of residents, constituents, or what have you. So not only did they, um, or did the county have a uh, new supervisor, but they ended up um, they ended up getting a new um, board of supervisor attorney, which happened to be um, an, a black man, and it was a whole lot of hoopla and controversy surrounding it. And to top it off, because it was a lot that happened in in, in that one month when. Um, uh, her name is um, Supervisor Mumford. So when she was sworn in, um, all of the, the subsequent events, you know, kind of really angered a lot of people. Some of it was very irrational. Really, most of it was irrational anger. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it, it was pretty interesting. Um, so, of course, most Board of Supervisors have consulting engineers that they um you know, have a retainer or, you know, contracting or what have you. And so um, the, the engineers who had served Washington County for, I guess you really could say for decades, um, hooker engineering, um, they ended up being replaced, of course, by board vote. They ended up being replaced by a minority uh, or majority black engineering firm based out of Jackson, Mississippi. And that particular, or I would just say those series of events basically led to a series of stories. Mm-hmm. So I would just have to say like that, that whole saga, <laughs> I would say I'm most proud of that. And then um, just, just even having to, um, even having to like compare and make sure, you know, I don't think, People read the story and just thought to themselves, oh, you know, this is going to determine whether our anger or whether our displeasure is actually rational. But at the same time, when you really sit back and think about it, it did. When you uh, had to kind of compare the um, engineers, the company that um, was replaced with the current company as far as like their, um, you know, the cost. So they can, you know, kind of see, okay, which one of these firms um, it was, was positive, you know, was uh, who we paying, you know, mm-hmm. the most, stuff like that. So I would say I'm was probably, that's one of the ones I'm, I'm most proud of because it was, 
it wasn't just one story that generated and it still and it probably still will generate a lot of a lot of stories wow Mm -hmm. but yeah that one kind of sticks out to me and there are a couple more so let me actually let me ask you about that story jasmine so when you're chasing down a story that's generating multiple stories and lots of people involved how do you organize all of that well, the good thing is, is when it's something um, of that magnitude, um, I do have um, a really, a really good boss, John Alverson, who, you know, he knows because he's been doing, you know, he's been in this field for so long. So he knows when something is going to be uh, pretty taxing. And so he does a good job of, you know, kind of, delegating certain responsibilities to himself, especially with him um, already knowing some of, let's just say like some of the main stakeholders or what have you. And so that, um, that, that helps out a lot. And my thing is kind of tapping into people or tapping into those individuals whom I have cultivated relationships with, you know, making sure, um, certain details that I have are, you know, accurate. Um, so one of my main priorities with stories like that is accuracy um, and just double, you know, double checking the facts. And, um, and, and know, so, so when, when you're collecting all of that, how do you, like, where does that live on your computer? What, what programs, etc. cetera? Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of it is, yes. Um, on my computer, um, I am so, I think a lot of people probably would think I'm so primitive when it comes to what I, <laughs> when it comes to what I use, but I, I mean, I live on my iPhone and um, Google Docs because like Google Docs is so dependable because I can be working on something on my laptop. I can take my laptop to a meeting and I can forget it the next day saying, oh, I meant to do this. And then I remember, you know what? I did this in Google Docs. It's going to be on my work computer too. So why am I trying? <laughs> right. Or just you can access it on your phone. Right. Exactly. So, um, but yeah, so, so for a big story like that, do you have one Google Doc that you're just dumping everything into? Or how do you organize that? So I literally... For a story like that, I have to specifically label my notes and my conversation. So let's say I have a conversation with the president of the board of supervisors. Depending on how long that conversation lasted, depending on what we discussed, by the time I transcribe that interview, um, it, it might take a you know one page, it might take up two pages. So what I do is like I'll save it and kind of you know just specify. This is a conversation I had with such and such and so forth. Um, so I literally, yes, I will compile, um, you know, those notes and things, even just even if a meeting is going on and I just so happen to be typing it as opposed to waiting to transcribe it. Just kind of like typing the most um, some of the most essential things being said as opposed to waiting until I sit down and listen to my recording that might be a document by itself. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Just so I kind of like reduce uh, mm-hmm. the amount of time or the amount of work, you know, that it would take me if I just 
didn't type anything and decided to just transcribe the entire thing. Right. And, and so now when you take that, that information and you're going to translate it into an article, um, how many, how many drafts of an article for a big story like that do you write? <laughs> um, oh, so probably I'm going to say at, at the least three, mm -hmm. um, a lot of times what I end up doing is I make a whole lot of changes, um, in one sitting, like sometimes. I can literally find myself, depending on what I'm working on, I may not get up from my computer for an hour and a half. It, it really just depends. It's just typing. Time. Just typing, just going back. You know what? This sounds better. You know, if I feel like I'm kind of um, on, a, on a track where, okay, my juices are flowing or my ideas are flowing pretty good, let me just go ahead and get this down while it's fresh. So sometimes I surprise myself and... I just get it right on the very first, um, you know, on the very first try. You know, it kind of just depends. Um, it, it really depends on the day because mm. my newspaper, we print twice a week. Um, we print on Wednesdays and then we print um, on Friday evenings for the weekend for the Saturday and Sunday edition. So, of course, when there is no deadline staring me smack dab in the face, I do find myself concentrating better and, you know, um, I don't have, you know, that sense of, oh, I need to hurry up and get this done, looming. So, what, what, what does it feel like when you do have a deadline staring you in the face? <laughs> it bothers me way less now. <laughs> when I first started, oh my God, I used to just be like, what, like, what, what's going to happen? And we already have a solution in place. Can we already have a plan B just like, just in case? You know? Right. Um, in case you don't get the article finished? Yes. Or <laughs> I might get it done. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, it could have been so much better. So a lot of times, you know, my editor might not even be tripping, but, you know, I might be thinking, like, man, I really want to put that in there, but whatever. Mm -hmm. So. And so when you're writing, Again, you're sort of translating your knowledge, the information that you've run down for a general audience. How do you think about sentence construction when you're writing? <laughs> oh, that's one of the things um, I am very, I want to stick with for because number one, I am an English major. And that has, mechanics and all of that grammar, that has just always been my thing. Like, I just always, you know, I don't, I, I almost just used to do stuff like that for fun in school, like correcting sentences, things like that. Um, so, honestly, that has become, mm, it's still at the, at like, you know, kind of at the forefront. But now, what has become something that I am really trying to perfect is the lead because when I first started, I number one you have to understand my minor is journalism, but I don't have or coming into um 
coming into this role, I didn't have like a whole lot of experience writing news stories. So I kind of got what you would call on the job training. And so I had to kind of um, almost inherit this, you know, this, um, this determination to make sure I have a good lead. Um, so I had to, you know, kind of start focusing on, you know what, maybe once I nail down the lead, everything else will fall into place. And I mean, that's, that's exactly what has happened. Um, you know, instead of just starting the story off with just like a general sentence about what the story is about, I was like, well, let me just have a, you know, have a catchy lead and then, you know, see what happens. So how do you make a catchy lead? Ooh, well, sometimes it depends on what the story, depending on what the story is, it can be so hard. Like, it's really hard to have a catchy lead with stories that are focused on local government and education. It's, it, it can be tough. It's much easier to do that when you're writing human interest stories or sometimes weather stories. I remember I actually had to do, um, occasionally I do a weather story. And... <laughs> oh, what, oh, what type of story? Weather. Oh, weather. <laughs> so when we had that really bad storm back in, I think February February it was, or was it March? Uh-huh. I can't remember. Um, I got a chance to kind of have a little, have a little fun with it. Um, so what was your lead? So my lead was something like not, I think it was not to quote the famous Atlanta rapper Gucci Mane, but this weekend is going to be so icy. Something like that. <laughs> I love it. So that's kind of just an example of how some leads can be um, easier, more, you know, fun. So you, you're saying it's it's tricky to work a Gucci Mane quote into a local school governance yeah. article? Yeah, <laughs> Much less the lead. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, I guess the last question or last topic I have for you is, okay, so you've researched the story, you've chased down the information, you've written your drafts, it's published. And of course, when you're a journalist or any, any type of writer, it's like a circuit, right? There's what you're creating, but then the circuit is only, is only complete when someone reads it. So now your audience, um, you know, everyone in Washington County, the Delta Democrat Times is the newspaper of record. So what's that like? You know, these words that you're typing up are going out and people are going to read them the next day. And sometimes it can be very, um, <laughs> sometimes it can be nerve wracking because you don't intend to, but you end up getting these um you end up having these feelings of um, preference almost, mm. which is terrible for this line of work. You have to always be objective. You have to maintain objectivity. But sometimes, you know, you you have to acknowledge, okay, yes, I do. I have you have real human emotions, you know. And then depending on, you know, the who of the story, one. For me, sometimes it's like, man, you know, I really hate, you know, that I have to write this or that this is going to be out there. Um, but, you know, this is my job. 
I can't, I can't not have this detail in there. So sometimes I, I, I think about, you know, whether or not the person or the individual who might be, um, you know, who might be uh, at the center of the story. Sometimes I think about how it's received by them. You know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, yeah, because it's their life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, of course you don't ever want to cast someone um, in a negative light. You know, I've even, you know, witnessed people um, sitting in those types of positions, like governing people who are a part of that and a part of the decision-making process, but, you know, they may have made a decision or they may have made a comment or what have you that may reflect, okay, well, they don't seem very informed because, like, people really, you know, like, repeat that. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. depending on how much content I provide, the people really might people, okay, yeah, this person don't need to be sitting on this board because, you know, right. I don't know about this. So, you know, but at the end of the day, I'm like, hey, you know, that that is something that the public deserves to know. Exactly. To know. Um, you what, know, what, what's what's it like? What, what what kind of feedback do you get from readers? What's that like? Oh, um, so I have had more positive feedback than negative. Um, of course, you have you occasionally have readers who are like why ain't y'all recording on this or why y'all ain't talking about that but you know readers in the future are not a monolith everybody is going to want to read about the same thing there are some people who probably could care less about let's say an event that's going on you know some people might because they know the person i know that person so yeah i'm glad that they wrote about this at the same time like me because I was an educator and just just because even even if I wasn't an educator, I think I still would um really, really want to be informed on, you know, how um the local board goes about making these decisions. Like I think I still would be very much interested in um that process. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't even know if I answered your question, but I'm just kind of <laughs> Okay, Jasmine, senior year of high school was was what year for you? 2008. 2008. Great 2008. Class of 2008. What were you listening to senior Ooh, year of high school? I was listening to so much stuff, but what I will never forget, I'll never forget T-Pain, Buy You a Drink. Buy You a Drink. <laughs> yes, I'm going to buy you a drink. I was listening to that. There's a line in that song I love. It's like, um, talk to me, I talk fast. So, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I love it. That and probably, I'm, I'm sure I was listening to a little bit of Usher. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's what, that, those were his like, love in the club days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember reading an interview with Usher. So, the song is called, love in the club and there's mm-hmm. something like about making love in the club and Asha was giving an interview it's like it's not about sex <laughs> it's like motherfucker the song's called love in the club right <laughs> like, it, 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 as soon as that hits 
someone's ears with right. their thing. Right. But I do, but like, if you listen to it, I, I, I get why he said that. Like, you know, hey, you can fall in love in the club. Some <laughs> <laughs> people's general notion is that, you look, if you going to the club, you're not going to find love. You right. This is not what you're doing. Right, right. Okay, second question. It's about food. Usually I ask people like what their favorite restaurant is, you know, where they where they are living or where they grew up. But you grew up um in the Delta. So what okay, what's your your one of your mom's favorite dishes that she cooks? Like oh traditional God. Southern food. Uh oh, so hard. I don't know everybody's surprised by their mom cooking, but like my mom can really cook. Like <laughs> She really can cook, and it's it's hard to pin down one single um, thing. But I'll just kind of throw out something, some some dishes that I think um, like her skills are unmatched. Macaroni is one. Mm. Um, you mean mac mac and cheese, or just macaroni? Mac, macaroni and okay. cheese. Um, Why well, yeah. I, I guess we'll, we'll say macaroni is understood. <laughs> Macaroni and cheese, yams, candy mm. yams. Oh, I know, right? Now I'm missing the Delta. Um, OMG, her okay, so like her hot roast and her potatoes. So now, good. Now, I know you like to wait, wait, what, uh, what about your favorite dessert from your mom's cooking? Ooh, from my mom's cooking. So, I don't know if it was my, well, it probably was my favorite because it took me a long time to really like pound cake, but hmm. I was like my dad. My dad loved chocolate, and I would say one of my favorites was this Hershey's, um, she would make this three-layer Hershey's chocolate cake. Mm. Probably, like, was my favorite growing up. This is just, like, triple triple chocolate? Yeah, so like the Hershey's, like the icing was made from, you know, Hershey's cocoa and, um, you know, butter and stuff and the the actual, like the, the cake, the flour. So she would just use like cake flour and she would blend it with the Hershey's cocoa. So not your pre-already chocolate cake. Mm-mm, she made it from scratch. So, yeah. Oh, wow. And I, and I know you like to cook now. So what what's one of your favorite dishes or best dishes that you cook? Um, one of my favorites is probably salmon. Um, mm. I like spirit. Um, I like to season it real good with you know rosemary, oregano, salt and pepper, all that good stuff. I like to give it a good sear, then put it in the oven. Um, You're eating healthy. That's that's hard to do in in yeah, in the Delta. I, I, Yes, I have to be an older. I gotta, you know, trying to age slow. So you know. <laughs> so yeah, we we generally like in my house we do eat pretty healthy. Like yeah. my mom and I, like we pretty much nobody is ever going to complain about what somebody else is cooking because mm-hmm. we all pretty much the same thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, salmon and red, like some good red roasted potatoes with garlic, and um. Some, you know, some chopped up rosemary and salt and pepper and drizzle some olive oil on those bad boys and roast mm. them. I'm hungry now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's probably like my favorite thing to cook. 
I love it. Jasmine, that's all I have for you. Thank you for coming on and, and sharing your experience and talking about uh, reporting and T-Pain and working, <laughs> working Gucci Man into your lead and cooking and, and everything. This has been great. Thank you so much for inviting me on. I really appreciate it. And very laid back, which is my style. Very laid back interview. I was a little nervous at first. I'm like, this man and asked me to be on this show. I ain't never... I've always been the person to do the interviewing. I've never been interviewed myself, so. She, the shoe's on the other foot. Yes, it is. Um, I was gonna say, oh, where, tell, tell people where they can find your work. Oh my goodness. Well, you can go to the Delta Democrats Conference Facebook page. Um, you can find a few of my stories on there. Of course, some of them are to get full access or to be able to read some of the full stories. You have to be a subscriber but you can find some of the full stories um on the delta democrat time facebook page fantastic thank you so much jasmine thank you my friend ben have a good okay. one thank you those were my interviews with trey johnson and jasmine steverson you can find all of my work at benbo.substack.com that's benbo.substack.com have a great day